the message of the sanctuary. This is a very beautiful portrait for me of God's love. It has been perfectly illustrated in the sanctuary. In the sanctuary, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. And also according to the Bible. Because the tabernacle in the wilderness was built according to a model that God showed Moses. That's what the book of Exodus says. And so it was a beautiful picture, a beautiful type, a beautiful image of what the, the bigger reality is. And it encompasses the whole plan of salvation. And that's a message that's very, like I said, very appealing to me because it tells me of how loving God is in a very special way. And so over the next three messages, I'd like to share about that with you. And like I said, I would encourage you to go on this website when you get home and take your time. It's roughly uh, just under two hours, the whole presentation. And so over the next few weeks, take your time to watch that. And that will be extremely helpful as I give you these messages here. But today we need to start somewhere. Today we'll have our starting point, trying to uh, understand more deeply and get a better glimpse of this message that God has for us. I'm going to start at something that shows God beautiful love, God's deep love for each one of us. And that's what his message is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what God's grace is all about about God doing everything He can to save you, to bring you back, to bring us back into His fold. So I'd like to invite you, all those who can, to join me as I ask for God's direction before we start studying this. Once again, Father, we come before you because we have no one else to go to. And we come before you with our weaknesses, but also, Lord, with the desire of our hearts to know you more. To know more about your love and your plan for us. So that, Lord, our lives may be daily transformed and that we can also feel so impressed and so are carried on by this love that we can share with others about you. Lord, we know that you have a day that's been appointed where Jesus is going to come and you are going to come and the Holy Spirit and all the angels when we'll have this special encounter and go to heaven, go home with you. Until then, Lord, help us understand more deeply your plan for us. And this morning particularly, as we open up scripture and as we talk about spiritual things, I ask, Lord, that your holy angels may be right here in our midst, that they may put a hedge around this building, that this may be a, a non-eventful time, that we may spend this time here together having peace of mind to meditate upon your word. And may you use me as your instrument, that everything I say be seasoned by your love and your grace, and be a reflection of your will for us today. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
So it is a it is a fact established in scripture that Adam and Eve even though they were created with a perfect abilities perfect mental abilities perfect physical abilities they had no sinfulness in them at all it is a fact established in scripture that they did fall that they were deceived by Satan and they followed his lies and they fell and by eating of the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat they disobeyed God and they became sinners and because of that sin has entered this planet and we are all all of us now we face the consequences of sin we face the consequences of sin in this planet and we face the consequences of sin in our own life and if I were to ask you if you could tell me in just one word one word only why did God prohibit Adam and Eve from eating from that tree uh, what would be the consequence that God warned them about what is the word you would say death death is the word God said you shall not eat of this fruit because the day you eat of it you shall die so death was the consequence however we see that Adam and Eve did not die physically immediately at that moment Adam Adam for one uh, according to the Bible, he lived 930 years. And most of his descendants, many of them, lived just as much. Just around 800, 700, 900 years. And so, the death that the Bible was talking about was something bigger than just physical death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, the Bible says that the wages of sin is... The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Bible is comparing here two choices you have. One is eternal life in Christ Jesus and the other is death. So I can safely say according to scripture that God is offering you two choices. One is eternal life in Christ Jesus and the opposite of eternal life would be eternal death. Either you choose to have eternal life with Christ or the other choice would be inevitably eternal death. Now death, according to God's warning to Adam and Eve, was not because the fruit was poisonous, was it? No, because Adam lived 930 years. The fruit was not poisonous. The fruit did not have any lethal element in it. God was talking about total separation from Him. Death that would place Adam and Eve in total separation from Him. And of course, eventually, that would mean physical death. So as children of uh, Adam and Eve, and as sinners ourselves, we are faced with the, the wages of sin. We reap the consequences of sin, which is death. But God offers the free gift of life in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. It is a free gift. And so, my question is, how does that transaction take place? How does one escape eternal death, which is the consequence of sin, and gain eternal life? How can one avoid eternal death and gain eternal life? Let me ask it in a different way. What makes someone eligible to go to heaven 
and enjoy eternal life. What marks a person as safe to live eternally in the heavenly environment, in the perfect environment, in the company of angels, in the company of God? What makes a person eligible to that, to that, to heaven? Jesus' blood. But in practice, how does that transaction happen? You see, every time we sin, every time we commit a sin, the devil is right there ready and he cries out to God and to the angels saying, You see, that individual is not eligible to heaven. He is not safe enough to be brought into the heavenly realm. And every time we commit a sin, the devil is ready to accuse us and to say to the angels and to say to God that we are not fit for heaven. But that's how the devil operates. The devil operates on the basis of accusation, of humiliation, of public exposure. The devil operates on the basis of knocking a person down. And, and this is not how God operates. But still, how does a person become eligible to go to heaven? Well, let's think about something. Let's think about something. And if I could ask you, if in one word now, one word only, you could tell me how a person can escape eternal death and gain everlasting life, what word would you use? Well, I think many words might come to mind, and, and all of them would be correct. You could say Jesus, yes. But remember that Jesus died not only for me, not only for you. Jesus died for all creatures. Whether they accept it or not, whether they choose eternal life or not, Jesus made provision on the cross for their salvation, for the salvation of all humanity. And so Jesus is a right word, but uh, any others? Blood, yes. One word that I personally like, and I think it, it, it's my opinion, it best represents this transaction of one giving up eternal death and accepting eternal life is faith. Faith, I think, very well represents this transaction, how it takes place. But can someone, can anyone measure your faith? No. Is there a device, is there a contraption that could possibly measure how much faith you have? No. But we are saying that it is on the basis of faith that we are saved. And so how can that be measured? How can that be a guarantee? Because no one can see your faith. No one can know whether you have faith or not, not even the angels. And so every time we sin, Satan will accuse us. But we have faith in Jesus. But no one can see that. And so, before we answer specifically, how does that transaction take place? How can someone be possibly considered eligible to heaven? Let me say something else. Let's think of something else. God is a God of mercy. But He's also a God of order. God is a God of order. God has established laws. And we should be thankful to God for His laws. 
because it is because of his laws is because he abides by his, by his laws himself that the universe is maintained the way it is it would be catastrophic if God would not abide by his own laws if God would change anything in the uh, physical equations that regulate things going around if God were to change that the whole universe would be in, in a terrible catastrophe but God is faithful to his own laws and God is a God of order and so in fact if someone is going to be considered eligible to heaven it must be done according to God's preset rules of order and so in spite of God's, in spite of Satan's accusation, God still looks at the sinner and considers them safe to go to heaven. So it must be on the basis of some evidence. God can, cannot simply come to the angels and say, well, trust me, trust me, I know Pani. I know she's a nice person and I know she has faith in me. Trust me, I'm doing things right. Well, the angels do trust God. But Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And Satan will be continuously accusing us. So God has to have more than just his word. God has to have evidence which he will give to the angels and to everyone else in this universe that will confirm that someone is eligible to go to heaven. Now, am I saying that God's word is not enough? No, I'm not saying that. That's enough. But God abides by his own word. And God will make sure that he has enough evidence that will bring out that evidence to prove that you and I are, can safely be admitted into heaven. Now, what evidence is that? What kind of evidence is that? Now, someone might say, well, as much as we give evidence of our sinful nature when we commit a sin, we who have accepted Christ, we also give evidence of a, of a Christian walk with the Lord. Because we live a transformed life, and the Lord can use our behavior. Can, can we, people can see our deeds, and, and they will see that we walk with Christ. Well, that is true. That is absolutely true. As we walk with the Lord, we, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. And everyone around can see that we are a changed creature, a changed person. But think about the thief on the cross, for example. All the thief on the, on the cross, he had lived a lifetime of crime. And then at the end of his life, he's there uh, hanging on the cross and he's next to Jesus. And Jesus is having this interaction with him and they're talking and then the, angel, the, the, the thief on the cross he pleads to Jesus Jesus please remember me when you go into your kingdom when you come in your kingdom and Jesus says to him I can guarantee you that you will be in paradise with me now the thief on the cross didn't have the opportunity to come down off the cross and live a Christian life after that they didn't give him a chance. Now I wonder if the, the officials, the soldiers, those who were in command, would give him a chance because he accepted Christ. Well, they didn't. He still paid the price. He still paid the penalty for his crimes. He still died that day. He didn't have any chance, any time to live a Christian life, 
to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But yet, we know from the words of Jesus that He will be saved. And so, how can the thief on the cross be admitted into heaven when he never had the chance to live a Christian life and to bear the fruit of the Spirit? So there must be something else. It cannot be only based on the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. There must be something else. I hope you're following me here. So God has to have other type of evidence. And that's not only that. Every single angel in heaven, every single angel must be convinced based on evidence that the thief on the cross can be safely admitted into heaven. Every single angel can, must be assured that you and I are safe enough to go to heaven and live in their company for ages to come. How will they be convinced of that? Now, when I say that there must be more than just the evidence of my sinfulness compared to the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, there must be because salvation is not a mathematical equation. God is not going to say, okay, you have sinned this much, but you have borne this much fruit of the Spirit, which offsets your sins, and so you can be saved. Salvation is not like that. God is not going to weigh how much you have sinned and He's going to weigh how much fruit you have bore, born of the Spirit and then He's going to say, well, this outweighs the other and then you can be saved. There is something more than that. And so, what kind of evidence is God going to show? Well, the evidence of our sins is still there. The evidence of the sins of the life of the thief were still, was still there. You read the pages of Scripture, and as many times as you open Scripture and you read it, as many times as you take the time to do that, you'll see recorded here the sins of David. You'll find recorded here the sins of Rahab. And yet, and yet, they have been forgiven. But the record of their sins is still here. It's still historical information. And so there must be some more evidence that God will present that will convince the whole universe that we can be saved. Let's look at Jeremiah 17.10. Jeremiah 17.10. Jeremiah 17.10, the Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart... I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So the Lord is saying, there is evidence of sin, there is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, but I go deeper, I go further, I search the heart, I test the mind, and according to that, I will give to every man according to the fruit of his doings. Also in Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. God says, God will bring into every work. Sorry. God will bring every work into judgment. Including every secret thing. Whether good or evil. And so God goes beyond that which is seen. 
God goes beyond only that which is witnessed by the angels or by other human beings or, or by Satan himself. God goes beyond and God says every secret thing, whether good or evil, will be brought into judgment. And still in Romans 8.27, Romans 8.27, that's a powerful passage. Romans 8.27 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he searches the heart, He searches the heart and makes intercession. He searches the heart and makes intercession. Keep that in your mind. Keep that in the back of your mind as you go through the presentation online. Remember that the Bible is saying that He searches your heart and He makes intercession. And so, here is how, how I would define it. Even though the enemy may stand up to accuse us before God and the angels, there is someone who brings evidence not only out of what you have done, but out of what you believe. And he searches the heart and makes intercession for the saints. So all of that, all of that will make up the evidence on your behalf. All of that, your deeds... Your thoughts, the desires of your heart, whatever was done in secret, whatever was done publicly, all of that will be evidence on your behalf. And above all else, your belief in, Je your belief in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that will be the most conclusive piece of evidence that will be used in your favor. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, that even though there is the evidence of our sins, even though, and, and, but there is also the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, Jesus is going to search our hearts and make intercession with all of that put together. If we keep that in mind, the next text here, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This text will give you a different perspective now. It will gain a new perspective if you keep that in mind. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we stopped here, one would say you have there the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. You are confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But the text does not stop there. It continues on to say, If you confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes, and is what? Made righteous or justified. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so the belief in your heart will, will be used by Jesus as evidence that you are eligible to heaven.
the belief in your heart will be used as evidence that you are eligible to heaven for with the heart one believes and is justified now all of this conversation does that sound as a judgment scene to you does that look like judgment I'm talking about evidence I'm talking about accuser accusation I'm talking about evidence it does it does give you the impression that I'm talking about judgment and in fact I am because this is real there is a judgment and in this judgment scene there is the accuser of the brethren but there is also the defense attorney an advocate one who stands and and defends you there is the defendant you and I ourselves but Jesus stands there someone who knows your heart someone who knows you love him with all your heart and he will stand there and his only interest is to save you and he will be defending you there in the judgment so that's where our text comes comes in John chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 so I encourage you to open your Bibles again to John 3 17 and 18 I know that John 3 16 is well known we might even a uh, quote John we might even say John 16 3 16 by heart can we all together for God so loved the world that he gave and who's perish but have and then the Bible continues on to say that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so if you believe in Him, you escape condemnation because he will search your heart and he knows that you love him and believe him and he will stand for you in the judgment and so Jesus came not to condemn anyone that's what the Bible says he didn't come to condemn anyone he came to save and so if you're feeling judged if you're feeling condemned by people that's humans works God is not like that if you're feeling excluded if you're feeling left out Jesus has included you in his plans if you're loving for more if you're looking for more love and not hate if you're looking for acceptance and not rejection if you're looking for forgiveness and not revenge if you're looking for grace and not indifference then you have to come to Jesus believe in him because the Bible says whoever believes in him is not condemned and if we believe in him today you are not condemned because he will use the beliefs of your heart as evidence on your behalf that you can be safely admitted into heaven there's a story you may have heard the story already of a young lady who was driving in a rural area and she was going uh, 70 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone and she was pulled over and she got a ticket 
and she realized she didn't have the money to pay the ticket, a hundred dollars, and she decided to go to court and appeal. And she went to court and she st stood before the judge, and the judge said, young lady, uh, or ma'am rather, not young lady, ma'am, you were caught driving at 70 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone, and uh, the, your punishment is $100, that's your fine, and you have two options, either you pay the $100 or you spend the weekend in jail. And the young lady turned to the judge and said, Sir, Your Honor, I don't have the $100, but I don't want to go to jail. Is there anything that can be done? And the judge repeated the same thing. Uh, you have to pay $100 in fine or you spend the weekend in jail. And she pleaded and she said, I don't want to go to jail, but I don't have the $100. Can anything be done? And so the judge looked at the young lady and he decided to do something. He took off his cloak, his, uh, uh, his gown, however it's called, robe. He took off his robe and he hung it and he went down and, and, and took his jacket. And from his jacket, he put out, pulled out his wallet. And from the wallet, he pulled out a $100 bill. And he came still down there and went next to the young lady and he said uh, nothing. And he just put the $100 bill on the bench. And after doing that, he went back and he took off his jacket, picked up the robe again, put it on and went back to his seat. And he turned to the young lady and said, Ma'am, you were caught driving at 70 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone. You have to pay $100 or spend the weekend in jail. But look at that. I see that someone else has paid the fine for you. And so you're free to go. Well, human illustrations always fall short of giving you the, the big picture. But this uh, well illustrates what Jesus has done. He has paid the price that you and I could not pay. So that you and I could have the freedom that we are not supposed to have to be able to escape eternal death and have everlasting life and so here is where we are starting today there is a judgment the bible talks about a judgment and we'll talk more about that next time on april 7 there is a judgment but i want you to remember all throughout our study uh, all throughout the time you spend watching the presentation online I want you to keep in mind that there is a Savior who loves you so much that He came and died in your place. I want you to remember as our starting point that there is a Savior who searches your heart. A Savior who is not going to present your case in judgment only based on the evidence of your sins. And not only based on the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He's going to search your heart. He's going to test your mind. And He's going to bring out the belief you have in Him as a Savior. As evidence that you can be saved. Keep that in mind throughout all the time. There is a judgment. But this one who stands for you to defend you. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last.
is the one who searches hearts and minds and makes intercession for us. Once he finds evidence that you truly believe in him, he will bring that evidence in your favor so that you will not be condemned. This is what Jesus is willing to do for you and for me. For God did not send his son into the world that he to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God bless you today.